cleft. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace, by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to his throne. May 24th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number two, four, uh, 429, rather. Let's talk about sacraments. My name is Caleb Hegg. I'll be ready, but I'm uh, dealing with some spring allergies. Uh-oh. I'm off. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's up, man? It's been a week. That was it's a been two weeks. Lame, a lame, uh, what do you call it? It's like the, the one-liner that you give when you give your name. It's... Uh, an intro. Yeah. Intro, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. It's your ta- it's your tagline in the beginning. You so my hear. voice. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have my clicker on the mute button. So if I have to like cough or something, it, it won't blow everybody's eardrums. I mean, we. I'm, let's just be honest. We ripped this. Uh, we ripped off our intro. The way we do our intro. The way we do all of it from the Podfather, right? And uh, they do it the best. Never. We're never gonna outdo the. Uh, the great Adam Carolla. Or not Carolla. Well, anyway, everybody knows who I'm talking about. If you He's know, funny. you know. He is. No, I'm not not Adam Carolla. The Podfather's who I'm talking about. All right. Um, 
Let's do it. You got anything else to say before we uh, before we get going? Nope. <laughs> it's been it's been two weeks since we uh, since we've been around. Uh, last week, my family was on vacation. It was an interesting vacation, to say the least. I'm going to get some stuff going here while I'm talking, um, and uh, I'm happy to be back. Uh, I'm happy to be back, um, but. Yeah, it, it was good to have some time off. Anyway, okay, so we got some interesting things to talk about today. And uh, if you if you don't know already, you should know this. We do a, a different show on Fridays on this channel called Mystery Bible Theater 3000. I think everybody knows that by now. It's going to be a good one this Friday. We've already recorded it. I think I think it's interesting, to say the least. We, we, we're diving into apologetics, man. We're diving into apologetics. It's... Uh, it's a, it's a deep dive too. Okay, but uh, we, we get all of our content for this show and for our Mystery Bible Theater 3000 from you, the listener, chegatorresource.com, chegatorresource.com. <clears throat> Pardon me. You can also call our comment line 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. not a, uh, someone you're going to talk to. You're not going to talk to one of us. It's you're AI. Gonna talk to an, yeah, you're going to talk to an answer machine. And uh, so you can tell you can t- tell us how much you love us, hate us, disagree with us, agree, whatever. It doesn't matter. Ramble on as long as you want. Uh, we may or may not listen to the whole thing if you ramble too long, but uh, I listen to every single one of those messages. All right. And if you are interested in listening to past shows, MessiahMatters.com, you can also find merch and all sorts of other things there. Become a member, become an exe- executive producer. Speaking of executive producers, I'll bring those up in just a second. And finally, last but not least... Torresource.com is the producer of this show. And this is important today. I, I want to let you know we're going to be featuring uh, something from Torah Resource every single week on this show. And this week, it's going to be the, the Romans commentary because it's going to interact with one of our comments that we're talking about today. And so if you are interested in uh, a Romans commentary from a pro-Torah perspective, go to TorahResource.com. You're going to get 15% off with the code I'm going to give you. It, it, it'll work for the physical books, either volume one, two, or both volumes, or the digital download, the PDFs. Now, before you run off and go buy them off the website, I do want to tell you this. The Romans Commentary is available in the library. So my personal advice to you, if you do not have a library membership already, just go buy a library membership. It's 100 bucks a year. Buy the library membership, and then you can go download every single PDF book that we have. That's what you should do. Just spend the money. Do it. You need to. Okay. Let's- physical books are nice to have. Physical books are nice to have. And if you want it, here's the code. I'll give it to you right now. It's in the description of this YouTube video. Go to TorahResource.com at checkout, put the coupon code, all lowercase, M-M-R-O-M, so Messiah Matters Romans, so M-M-R-O-M 23, that's it. I'll put it in the chat too, for anybody who might want it. uh, In this room, but it's a nice, big, two-volume set, it's a bigger, what's the, it's a bigger size book, so it's more like a workbook size, uh, the Romans commentary is. Plenty of room for making notes in the margins, things like that. That's right. So and I like a physical book. I like a physical book too. And, but the, uh, the point here is simply if, I mean, think of it this way. You can get your PDF books and you can also uh, get uh, over 4,000 hours of audio and somewhere in the vicinity of over 3,000 hours of video 
It is. A, it, it really is a, a great deal. Everybody should have a library membership, no matter what. It's that's, equivalent that's, to the like domestic. That's my opinion. Uh, product of like a small country. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Let's Gross bring our uh, let's bring our uh, producers up, and then while they are up here, yes, we are thank going you, to... producers. Uh, that's right. Okay, so while that's happening, while they're while they're up, what we're going to do is we're going to jump in now. As I said, we haven't been around for two weeks, so. We're just going to, let's actually, since we've been talking about the Romans commentary, let's go into it. Trenton Heath has commented uh, two different comments on our uh, on our videos that we're going to look at. And uh, we'll go through these semi-quickly. Uh, so this is in a video, I think it was on a video about the Sabbath, Gentiles and the Sabbath, whether or not Gentiles have to keep the Sabbath. Now, for those who are unaware, uh, Rob and I fully affirm the Torah the laws of God, for all covenant members. Now, you're going to have to determine whether or not you think you're a covenant member with God or not. It is my personal opinion that if you are a believer in Christ, you come into covenant relationship with him. And therefore, any uh, stipulations and or blessings that come with covenant membership are attributed to you. But this includes the covenant stipulations. So uh, this is going to play in... The reason I'm explaining this is because it's going to play into... uh, what was his name? Trenton. Trenton's second question. Um, so ultimately, this form of theology has been titled various different things in various different places. So one law theology was, uh, if you look on the on the interwebs, my father Tim Hag has been called the champion of one law theology. Um, I think that's great. Uh, another one would be... Uh, He's uh, like Cron- the Bra- Brazilian jiu-jitsu... Like equivalent master. of Gracie yeah, when it comes to Gracie. one law the- theology. And then Caleb's like, Caleb's <laughs> like the under, he's like the second generation Gracie. <laughs> okay. I don't know okay. about that. Um, Just okay, having so, fun with you there, brother. Okay. So the, the, the point simply is this, that uh, one law theology, one Torah theology, uh, some people call it full Bible theology. Uh, other people call it, well, I've... I've uh, helped push the term pronomian theology, um, which was actually created by uh, a Christian uh, scholar, not me. But uh, nonetheless, uh, there is all different names that you can uh, attribute to this idea of one law theology. Now, we've talked about this many times, but I I do want to say one law theology is not Hebrew roots theology. Now, those in the Hebrew roots believe, most, most people in the Hebrew roots believe in one law theology, but, but the Hebrew roots movement, like the Messianic movement, there are people in the Messianic movement who believe in one law theology, but the Messianic theology is not one law theology. It's, it can be a part of one law theology, right. right? Or one law theology can be a part of Messianic or a part of the Hebrew roots, so on and so forth. Okay, so with that said, let's go to... The comment by Trenton. He says, what about, quick quick comment. He says, what about Romans 7, 4? We are dead to the law. And this is what, uh, let me read the verse for everyone so that uh, everyone knows where we're at and that we're on the same page. Romans 7, 4 says this, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Well, there it is, right? Uh, many opponents will go to of the idea that we should should be keeping the, the covenant stipulations. 
it's such a weird thing to me to even say such a thing. Um, but those who say that we don't have to or don't need to keep the covenant stipulations will often go to Romans 7, 4. Um, would you like to comment first while I get to the place oh, that yeah. I want to go? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go the, for um, it. It's obviously we're jumping into the middle of an awesome epistle by Paul. Uh, but the, if we're going to go by chapter numbers, it, it would at least be helpful to go back to 7 verse 1, where he says, uh, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law literally, which means the, the law is Lord of over a person as long as he lives, as long as he's alive. Right. And the idea yeah. is the NASB has law has jurisdiction. I pulled up the net Bible. It says the law is Lord over a person as long as he lives. The idea is the law defines all sorts of uh, situations. Like, you know, what is, how does a person acquire impurity? And then what are the obligations for uh, getting back to cleanliness? And right, the law gives stipulations of if you, you know, what kind of transgression requires a sin offering and stuff like that. So if you don't, if, if you don't do, if you don't do those sins, you don't require a sin offering. A sin offering is only, right? If you take a sin offering and say, well, the priest is like, why are you bringing this? Uh, I just wanted to do something. Well, no, what's your sin? Well, I, uh, uh, okay. Right. So in other words, the law defines things. Paul uses the example of adultery as a case study. And he just uses one case study, but the case study is this. It's like, look, here's a situation. You have a husband and a wife. If she goes and sleeps with another guy, guess what? Death penalty. Right. Why? Because the Torah stipulates, a, defines a certain relationship and holds an accountability structure for a, a, until the law changes. Well, when would the law change? The law would change when the husband dies. Now the right. woman is now, if she goes and marries someone else, the, the law that would call her an adulteress no longer applies. Why? Because because that her circumstance has shifted. Her status has changed. She's no longer an adulteress. And the, the why does Paul bring this up? Because he says, the problem is humans are sinful and we are under a curse of the law. We, our master is sin. And we are slaves to sin, as it says, I think even in the Gospel of John, Yeshua uses that point blank, you know, slaves to sin. And yeah, there's a we need to be rescued from that slavery. And the strength of that uh, of the strength of that servanthood to sin is the Torah, is the fact that God has says blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. But the, it's the Torah that enforces the sinfulness, I, ironically. And, and it sounds weird to say it that way. But the point is, it's the law that is defining what sin is. And if I'm a sinner, as long as the law endures, I'm going to be a sinner. And the law doesn't go away. The, the heaven and earth pass away, right? So what, what does Yeshua do? He redeems us from the curse of the law brings us under him. We be, we belong to him. We are no longer slaves to sin. And how does that happen? It happens because we die with him. We died with him on the cross. 
That means all believers, all the way back to Abel, to future all believers who belong to him, he went to the cross and we all died with him. And we, in his love for us, which is unbreakable, because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, we are still connected to him on the other side, on the resurrection side. But so, but the sin debt that we owed is paid for. Why? Because we have, we, the, the obligation to pay for the sins for the obligation before God's law to pay for our sins has been paid. Why? Because right. we are reckoned as dead. Yep. That's, so, I, I, that's kind so, of on the fly. That was kind of a messy way around, but you're, you're, but, but you've basically said, um, a, a kind of, I don't want to say dumbed down because it's not dumbed down, but you've said the same thing that my father says in his commentary, just not as wordy, maybe. Let's, uh, let's go, let's get the, let's get the, get the promo code. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, exactly. M it's in the, uh, it's in the chat. M M R O M two, three, all lowercase. Uh, two, three is uh, obviously numbers not spelled out. Um, for the Romans commentary at TorahResource.com. This is what my father says in that commentary. And um, if you don't have this as a resource, I, I really do. I use this a lot. I use my father's Romans commentary a lot and his Galatians commentary. So <clears throat> I uh, I do really recommend this as a resource for, for people, whether it's uh, in digital format or whether it's in a, a hard copy. So this is what he says. The, de- uh, the death that the believer has undergone through his union with the Messiah has served forever. His connection to the penalty of, has severed rather, severed, forever his, yeah, there you go. His, connect, his connection to the penalty of the Torah, in which the wrath of God is assured against all sinners. Like the wife who is free from the bonds of the covenant with her now deceased husband, that is the law, which bound her from marriage another has now been loosed by his death so the believer through his death in the messiah is free from the condemnation of the torah 8 1 through 4 to which this whole section moves that is the penalty of the torah against sinners I want to emphasize, this is my father still, I want to emphasize that I use the word free here in a strictly forensic sense. The Torah demands certain things of people in certain situations. In the case selected by Paul for his illustration, the Torah restricted the married woman from marrying another while the covenant with her husband remained in force. But a marriage covenant lasts only as long as both husband and wife are alive. When one dies, the covenant is dissolved and the remaining spouse is free to remarry. That is... The law which governed that particular situation no longer applies. This shows once again that it is not the Torah that has died or changed, but the status of those over whom the Torah shed its governing power. In fact, it is the Torah itself that describes the just basis upon which the woman can remarry. Exactly. On that last point is so important. The idea is she can go, her her husband dies, she is now freed from the constraints that the Torah defined for that relationship. But if she goes and gets married again, guess what? She right. can't sleep around on that guy. She would be an adulteress. So the same, the same she's now under a new law, so to speak. Not and, the, what gover- and what governs the marriage in the first place? The covenant overall. Yeah, yeah the law, yeah. right? Yeah. So, the so the idea of-, of going and marrying another, once again, talks about obeying the law. Exactly, yeah. She can't cheat on that guy and be exempt. It's so that so. Uh, but I've heard people read that to say that God was in a pickle because yeah. he married a woman, Israel, 
Oh my and, gosh, yes. And, oh, it's so and, bad. Uh, Israel sinned, and so he couldn't marry her again. So God Himself had to die, and be resurrected, so he could take, so he could marry her. It's so bad. So he, have you heard that kind of thing? Yeah, and every time we bring it up, um, oh, yeah, we. I think we probably. Yeah. Every time we bring it up, we get emails from people trying to show show us how that's exactly what's going on. Every time. You don't we'll need save save the emails because yeah, that's not. What I'm happened. not convinced in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Okay, um, let's let's stay with Trenton here because he asks another question. Um, where are we? Where are my notes here? Trenton uh, asks this question. He says, "Can you show me now?" This uh, Trenton's uh, line of thought all has to do with Gentiles and the and the and the covenant obligations. That is the Torah or the law, right? So why should Gentiles keep the law? He says, can you show me the verse where it says the Gentiles are required to keep kosher in the end times? I'm very interested in that. Thank you. I mean this in a sincere way. Yeah, Leviticus 11. Um, so we can go to pretty much any place in, in the Bible and show how the covenant applies to covenant members, right? Um, Matthew 5, 17 and following. Right, so th there's plenty of places where we, Romans three thirty one. Um, th th there's plenty of places where we can go and show that. Um, first, let's let's build this case a little bit by showing that the covenant obligation is for Jew and Gentile. There shall, so Exodus twelve forty nine. This is in the context of the Passover. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Interestingly, the the oppo the opponents to one law theology will often say, "Well, this is only talking about the Passover." Well, to keep the Passover, a Gentile has to what? Be circumcised. Paul tells us that a person who is circumcised, the whole law applies to them. Right. So the the idea that uh, a Gentile can be circumcised, celebrate the Passover, and then not keep the rest of the Torah. What are you talking about? That makes zero sense. Leviticus 7, 7, the guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. Numbers 15, 16, one law and one rule should be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Numbers 15, 29, you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally. This, by the way, is the reason that this has been called one law theology, right? So you can go through the Torah. There's plenty of places where the Torah is going to tell you there's one law for the sojourner or the, the stranger, the, however you want it, the gear, and one law for the, uh, for the native born. You can't separate the two. They are both covenant members, right? And we can show this even by the Exodus itself. There's a mixed multitude that comes out of Egypt, yet the mixed multitude, God doesn't say, hey, look, this, these laws are only for the, the native born, like the descendants of Jacob. All the other people who came out of Egypt, you, you just go, go do your own thing. This, don't listen. Earmuffs, right? Like, don't listen to this part. He doesn't say that. No, everybody's to be circumcised. Everybody's to do these things. Everybody's to keep the Sabbath. Everybody's to keep the, the, the law. It is the covenant stipulations. Now, go to the apostolic scriptures, to the New Testament. Same thing. Christ never tells us, oh, by the way, these laws are not for the Gentiles. That's right. What, what is confused often is what Paul's talking about. And what, when Paul seems to make these statements against the law, what what we have to understand is Paul is clarifying for the Pharisees and other Jewish sectarians, as well as for Gentile believers, that righteousness is by faith. Right. You a person who goes, Oh, I think I'll be circumcised. Oh, now I'm righteous. That right. is 
bad theology. Paul would say, Paul would say that is that's sectarian. You're you're getting into like this little special sectarian holiness kind of movements where it's like, oh, we are like, you know, we have we know how to wash our hands, right? And we wash our vessels, and we're not going to eat at your house because we don't know how you wash your hands and how you wash your vessels. And the and- same thing happens today, by the way. Oh wait, you're a Gentile. This I I know people who are who remain in the Christian church probably haven't experienced this. Walk into a Messianic synagogue sometime. Ask how long it would take for your child to be able to have a bar or bat mitzvah, or for you to have a bar or bat mitzvah. There is a significant amount of Messianic and uh, Messianic places, and even Hebrew rooters, right, who will say, if you're not physically Jewish, you can't say these prayers. We have special prayers for you. If you're not physically Jewish, you your kids can't have a bar or bat mitzvah. If you're not physically, I mean, you know, there's all these different things. It it is. It is ridiculous, and I, I, as I'm on a rant here, I want to uh, address Gabby's question in the uh, in the chat room. Gabby says, "Circumcision physically or of the heart or both?" Stupid question. Probably this is not a stupid question. In fact, not I would all. say that I would say that the majority of our show revolves around this question. It is a uh, this is I think that this is where the crux of a lot of the uh, the misunderstanding of Torah has come from the Christian church. And the reason why is because you pull on a thread, and that thread is, here's the thread that the Christian church, overall, this isn't everybody, of course, but overall, this is the the thread that the mainstream Christian church pulls on. We don't have to be circumcised physically anymore, Paul tells us that. That's the thread, and they start pulling on that. Well, if we don't have to be circumcised, then what? Well, we're not really, we don't- Well, that's why, why is that? That's because that's ceremonial. Yeah, exactly. It must it must be the exemplar ceremonial yeah. law. Then all of a sudden you've 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 smuggled in this concept of moral versus ceremonial versus civil, and you start right. thinking, oh, this is I'm I'm learning to think like Paul, like Paul thought. I, I'm actually Paul's my teacher, and I'm actually learning taking Paul classes and learning how to think about the Torah. And yeah, that's we got to hear Paul correctly, and right. he's not doing that. Well, but what's uh, there is a great book. We've we've talked about this book several times. There's a great book on the Fiscus Judaicus, and if you don't know what the Fiscus Judaicus is, it's a uh, it, it's a tax that came in after the temple fell. Rome thought that the Jews, well, if they were giving their money to this temple that's no no longer around, where are they giving their money now? Well, we want that money, so we're going to implement a tax to the Jews. If you're Jewish, you have to give us that tax. It was a lot of money, by the way. According to the book that I'm thinking of, I don't have the name in my head. Maybe I'll be able to find it later. Um, but according to the book that, I, that uh, I'm referring to, she, uh, the scholar, she says that uh, it was equivalent to about two to $3,000 in, in gold today. So you had to have it like physical gold. It couldn't be like assets. Anyway, the point is, is that each year you had to give this. And... There were requirements. How did they know that a person was was Jewish or not? Well, they were circumcised. They kept kosher. They kept the festivals. They kept the kept the Sabbath. So it's pretty interesting that, and I think that we can see a progression of this. That uh, the, the Christian Church says, "Well, yeah, that's how you tell a person's Jewish." So how do you get rid of those four things? How do you get rid of circumcision, kosher laws, Sabbath, and festivals? Notice that it's the the earliest things that the church throws out. And I don't think they threw them out. I think that there's some misunderstanding on this. I don't think that the Christian church threw them out thinking, oh, well, I don't want to do these. I think that literally what it was was the people who are responsible for killing Christ, our Lord, they look like this, and I don't want to look like that. 
And so if we can theologically get around the things that make us look like the people that, uh, that oppose Christ, that deny Christ, then how do we do that? Well, and, and there's a lot of factors. They didn't have, the early believers were being persecuted. They didn't have autonomy. There were a lot of, there was like a big, huge shift in, in history, right. right? The destruction of the temple. And, it, you know, that's that's the year, that's when the Roman Colosseum started getting built with 69, 70 under Vespasian and Titus, right? And, and they're saying that's Jewish money, maybe, and even Jewish labor went into building. So there's this huge shift. There is a persecution of believers. And so people who know the word are very rare in the world, right? And and so that's when we have the Bible going out and, and manus- we start seeing, you know, different translations over the first, you know, few centuries of Christianity. We have the spread of the gospels, but we don't have, I mean, we have early church fathers, right? We have Tertullian and, or, you know, Justin Martyr, Tertullian. We have uh, Augustine and Jerome by the fifth century. Uh, Origen earlier than that, I guess, Chrys- Chrysostom. And, but even them, those are, those are mostly elite, you know, fairly well-to-do men, fairly well, well-educated, but we can see the limits of their education. They didn't have access to information. So what happens when you have this uh, avoidance and the suspicion, you know, between Jews and Jews who don't believe in Yeshua and Jews and Gentiles who do believe in Yeshua, they don't necessarily trust each other. And so uh, it, it is a difficult time and you, you put the persecution on there. And, but to me, it's all in God's wisdom because like we're celebrating, you know, we're coming to Shavuot, Yeshua said, you will be my witnesses, right? In Judea, Samaria, right? And and to the ends of the world. So the idea is, Yeshua said, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they're going to go out and the message is going to be spread, independent of what the world domination systems were doing. The word, the word was going to go out. And where we are, we're kind of at the end of the age. We're able to look back and see how it spread and that it... You know, God wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't going to, this wasn't just going to be 50 years or 100 years, but right. over 2,000. So uh, and, I, I, w- I want to, uh, I want to uh, go back real quick, and uh, I want to address Gabby's question straight on. Circumcision physically or of the heart? Yes. Now, I received an email recently from someone who said, uh, he is now in a relationship with someone, their child is not circumcised, the child is five, do they circumcise or not? It, these kind of questions are outside of the scope of things that I'm able to answer. I don't know. That's, uh, you know, wait until the child is old enough to make that decision yeah. for himself. That's my, it's, that's what, that's, that's usually where I'm advice. at. That's yeah, my if you're not going to do it as an infant, don't, don't. It's up to them it, at that point. Yeah, because, I mean, that's going to be, there's no way that five-year-old is not going to understand and and, and, and that's be... and that's what I said, but but yeah. here's here, here's the point. Circumcision is a sign of I and we've talked about this. I I think two weeks ago uh, we talked about this. 
uh, in the last show that we did, we talked about circumcision as a sign of the virgin birth and why I believe that that is. So you can go back and watch that. I'm not going to cover that again right now. But I believe that it is a covenant sign. And I do, but it, I do believe that it is still an act today. I don't think that there's anywhere in scripture uh, that tells us that, that uh, God's covenant no longer stands. And that the covenant obligations don't stand. Now, with that said, if you are not circum, if a man is not circumcised and he thinks to himself, "Well, I'm going to get in by being circumcised," wrong. That's not the heart has that's, to change first. That, right. That's where Paul says, "No, you're confusing righteousness and faith right. with uh, with just deeds." Right. And this like is what we talk. Confusing. We talk. We talk about this all the time on the on the show. How and I've I've done uh, work on this on my own uh, on my own website pronomian.com, on how uh, how the idea of the term circumcision was the final step in a conversion process. And so if you if you became circumcised, it was a shorthand for converting. So the idea is if I convert, if I go through this man made process, I'll gain rights. I'm in. That makes me in. I'm I'm. I, I've become a covenant member. And Paul says in, in Galatians 3, no, 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 you're a covenant member as soon as you have faith in Christ. All that other stuff, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there when it comes to your salvation. We're going to talk about this. This is going to play into our main topic here in, in just a second. So I wanted to address that head on. Um, but I also wanted to circle back to uh, the idea of these things that the Fiscus Judaicus uh, put forward as being seen as Jewish things, not as covenant relationship things, but as Jewish things. So I went to my information station notes. Nobody knows that I have this. This is this is my happy place. Anyway, so I'm in my own notes here. The hmm. Council of Laodicea. Uh, it was the synod. It, it was a synod originally. It took place in uh, Phrygia. Pacatiana in the year 363 to 364. The Synod, Synod of Laodicea was perhaps the church's main assault on the Sabbath. In Canon 29, it is stated that, the, that Christians are not to rest on the Sabbath as this is something the Judaizers do and that believers who do, do rest on the Sabbath are anathema. Canon 29 says this, Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath, but must work on the, on that day, rather honoring the Lord's day. And if they can, uh, can resting then as a Christian, but if any shall be found to be Judaizers, let them be anathema from Christ. So this is, they're seeing Sabbath rest as someone who is attempting to pull people away from Christ and over to Judaism. What is interesting about this, once again, this is happening in the in the late fourth century, is that they're still having to tell Christians not to keep the Sabbath. That's glossed over a lot. The idea that the Council of Laodicea had to tell believers stop keeping the Sabbath in the fourth century. That should tell people something. Okay, we're going to move on. And we're going to move on because I think that this all plays into our main topic. And our main topic is what we're going to go to now. Uh-oh, I'm having latency issues. Uh, hang on. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to our main topic here. So this was, I don't know. I don't think this is a real name. But uh, this was on one of our videos. I think it was on Gentiles on the Sabbath again. Um, Kleis van Oldenfot. 
I don't think that's a real name, <laughs> but whatever. It might um, be. It might be like Dutch or something. I don't know. It could be. This is what now. I I'm assuming that this person is coming from an Eastern Orthodox or a Catholic perspective. That's what I. What that's what I'm. That's my thought. I could be wrong. Um, this is what they say. So you have no regard for Christ's resurrection. This is, I, I don't know why someone would even say that. I, this to me just comes from, I, and I actually don't think, I don't think that this is meant as a actual like question, obviously. This is more of a statement. You don't have any regard for Christ's resurrection because anyone who watches our, our videos would know that uh, we are extremely heavy on the idea of the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, and that Christ continues to do interse intercession for uh, his, his chosen ones, right? And so this is, this is, he starts, I think it's a he, he starts with a dig. He starts with a dig uh, to try to stir the pot up a little bit. Okay, whatever, that's fine. The first Christians, who were Judeans, attended the temple and synagogues until they were thrown out for following Jesus, proclaiming him to be the Messiah. You wanna... When was that? How do we know that? Yeah. <clears throat> Acts 21, they're still going. Right. Yeah, so exactly. If, if, you, which if is, you're looking which is... at Acts 5 and saying... Acts 21, they're still going in Rome. And here's the thing. That's at least 20 years after Paul's conversion. 20 years. So we're going to need some receipts on that. Can we say that every synagogue in the ancient Near East in the first century was throwing Christians out? And if say, so, can you say, say it one more time? Can we say, can you show me where every synagogue was throwing Christians out of the synagogue in the first century? I don't think no. so. Yeah, we, we, of course not. Yeshua, in the Gospel of John, I think it's in the Gospel of John, he says, you know, th there will be times where you're going to be thrown, you will be thrown out of the synagogue. But that right. is local. It's not like they had internet and could email like instantly, instant communication with all the leaders of all the synagogue communities. No. Paul, even but, in the book and, of Acts, well, during Paul's missionary right. journeys, sure, he'll get kicked out. But guess what? He goes to a new city and goes right to the synagogue on Shabbat. Acts 28. What happens? He goes, hmm. right? He goes to Rome and he said, and they say, we haven't heard anything bad about you. We right, haven't right. heard that you're teaching anything wrong. Come on in. And what does he do? He goes into the synagogue and he teaches in the synagogue in Rome, in Acts 28. Okay. So anyway, I, I think that this is a false statement. Well, he said at uh, the end of Acts 28, he's in prison, but I don't, I don't remember. I haven't looked at it lately. Anyway. Yes, he's interacting with Jews, definitely. He's yeah, he's on house arrest in, in Rome, right? But what happens? Right. He's he's <clears throat> he gets the synagogue officials to come to him. Yeah. And then he te and they, he's and teaching. Like, yeah, we don't know. We haven't heard anything. We don't about we this. haven't heard anything. Okay, so anyway, this idea that in the first century the the synagogue was kicking out the apostles and and uh not allowing them in, I I'm I'm not sure that I think that this is an idea that people have, but uh, I don't know if it's 100% there accurate. Is, there is possible that he's thinking about the development of the Birkat Minim, where, sure. and, and again, we don't even have the earliest, all we have is variant readings of that particular prayer from the Amidah, but the idea is it was understood where it's a curse on the heretics, and that right. by heretics... But late... You're talking I mean, late, name man. are the followers of, of Yeshua. 
But the, yeah, but the but the to where the, you have people like uh, is it prayer Shapira against the menim says, is late. The word for min, min mem yod noon is for uh, uh, what is it? Ma'amene uh, Yeshua Nazareth. Uh, believers in Yeshua of Messiah. So the word men is, is a code for, so people, their imaginations have run really wild with this. It does seem generally true by the middle ages. There are some that actually mention, I think Yeshua um, as a difficulty, like, or as a uh, uh, kind of a, uh, that he's portrayed as a false teacher you right. know, by like Rashi and Rambam, you know, by some but, of the well, main... But we're not, we're not talking, we're not talking first century. He yeah, says, this is way he, late. He exactly. says the yeah. first Christians who were Judeans, he's, uh, proof, give us some receipts. Anyway, let's keep going with this. They we kept have, the Well, sap- there were Christ, first Christians that were Galileans too. Right. And Judeans. They kept the Sabbath, but they celebrated the Eucharist secretly the next day. What? Uh, okay. Once again, does he have like an extra book I know. in his Bible? Like what? Like what? Second Bolognians like, two fifteen. Six- Bolognians. Yeah. The, the 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 fact the fact of the matter is is that is that this is simply not true. In fact, in, in fact, I would push I, I would push hard against this. That the idea that the first church was celebrating anything that even closely resembled what is known as the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper is is simply not true. And I would point to one of the places that we Andrew we McGowan. Have is, Andrew McGowan, but but even even uh, the idea of the Eucharist itself, like the, the elements and that kind of stuff, is way late. But the but it said, and scholars will point to the idea of breaking bread, and they broke bread together. I have yeah. argued in my writings that this that this uh, is a reference to eating together, and the proof of this is in Acts. What is it, twenty seven or twenty eight? When they're when they're taking Paul to uh, to Rome, right, and they're going to put him in house arrest, and there's this there's this uh, this storm, and and they're they finally get shipwrecked. What does it say? And he broke bread with them. Yeah, it's not the Eucharist. It's not the Eucharist. It's, it's not the Eucharist. So once again, this is... This is Except sim- I did see a headline on uh, that they oh, had no. found the actual Pope hat that Peter wore. Oh, it was, It's good. on that trust. It's on a Babylon Bee. Of course. Archaeologists <laughs> discover, and it's this giant, <laughs> giant Pope hat po- with, with like gems on it. First Pope hat worn by okay. Peter himself. Hey, hang on okay. just a sec. Hang on just a sec. Remember, so let's keep going with uh, with Clay's, uh comment. Remembering <laughs> Christ's triumph over death, which proves his me- messianic identity as God, God of Israel. Well, I agree. Ne- never mind. Not not God. And he. And this is. I, I think once again he's trying to dig on like messianic Judaism or something like that. I, it, which shows a lack of understanding of where we're coming from. Not the point. He says in brackets, not G underscore D. Yod Hey Vav Hey cannot be pronounced by pious Jews, but Yeshua can be. He is the name. Okay, I'm not even going to get into that. So, he he goes on. So. Enthusiasm to appropriate all things Jewish has made you no longer Christian. And once again, what are you talking about? What are you well, talking? about? Yeah, you need you need to you need to watch our, our a, show a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, okay, evangelicalism deprives its followers of access to mysterioi, and that's written in in Greek. And then he tries to translate it as sacraments. We're gonna pause right there. We're going to go let's back to it. my information notes, my information station. Uh, let's find 
Uh, well, let's just search for it. Six, eight. Okay. So here's the question. What do you mean by sacraments? I think that this gets thrown around a lot, but what do you mean by sacraments? What is a sacrament? This is what I say in my notes. And these are, these are not notes meant for other people. These are meant notes. These are my study notes. So Augustine originally uh, was the first to attempt to define the term. He said that two things made up a sacrament. Number one, it was a sign that was attached to a divine thing. Number two, the sign must bear some resemblance to the thing to which they are sacraments. Augustine's definition was all the church really had to go on until the 12th century when Hugh of St. Victor gave his own definition that entailed four elements. Uh, Hugh of St. Victor said... It must be a physical material. Now, this is where the church took umbrage with it because uh, it did not encompass some of the things that the church wanted to be sacraments. So uh, Hugh of St. Victor said, it must be a physical material. It must have some kind of likeness to the thing it signifies. By the way, where is any of this in scripture? It's not. Okay. There must be some form of institution that is the words of institution or something like, like that. There must be an uh, efficacy by which the sacrament is capable of conferring the benefits which it signifies to those who partake in it. Okay. Now, Hugh of St. Victor had given a def def definition of sacraments that left many unhappy since at the time of writing his definition, the church recognized seven sacraments. They were baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, marriage, marriage, ordination, anointing the sick with oil, or what was referred to as extreme unction. This was resolved by Peter Lombard in his book, Four Books of the Sentences, which was compiled in Paris in 1155 through 1158. Lombard avoided any reference to anything physical, which allowed the seven sacraments to remain. And of course, that became the seven sacraments of the church. So the question that I would have for the person writing this, this, uh, this comment is simply this. What definition of sacraments are you taking? Do you believe that there are seven sacraments as the Holy Catholic Church, I'm putting that in the air quotes, has put forward? Are you agreeing with Augustine? Are you agreeing with Hugh of St. Victor? Are you, I mean, and where in the Bible are you understanding the idea of sacraments? This is important for the rest of his comments, by the way. So he throws this word amount around sacraments as if we're just going, so the Baptists only take two sacraments. The, the Catholic Church takes seven which one are you taking? So there's not even a good, uh, solid agreeance among Christianity. Now, obviously, anyone who's going to say, well, the seven sacraments because of the Holy Catholic Church, we're going to take uh, exception to that as well. Okay. Having never partake, this is, this, by the way, is back to Cleus's, uh, uh comment. So, he, he says, evangelicalism deprives its followers of access to the sacraments as you have no apostolically ordained priests to do them. Let's stop right there. And, and there you have it. This, this is a really interesting comment. This is the Be same argument that the ultra-Orthodox Jews have right. of why you need to listen to them because they have the, they have the oral Kabbalah, they have the Mishnah, they have... Uh, it goes all the way back to Moses, and it doesn't matter if you read the Bible or whatever, Jesus, not Jesus, anything like this. Unless you become a disciple of the rabbis, you're 
you're transgressing your covenant obligations in their so, view. This this whole argument goes back to the Donatist uh, heresy. And I call it a heresy not because I think it necessarily is a heresy. Rather, I call it a heresy because that's what the, the Catholic Church has deemed it. The Donatist heresy is whether or not a person... This all starts with people who deny the faith and, uh, because of persecution, then come back to the faith. And the question is, a priest who, deny, a priest who denies the faith, can they... The, the, the sacraments that they administered beforehand, like communion, does it count if they were a defector? This is the whole Donatus uh, conundrum that goes on. And there's a lot of history behind this, okay? So ultimately, my point is this. I reject any form of Christianity that thinks that it can establish a new priesthood that is not given by the Bible. In other words, if you are outside of the Levitical priesthood, you are not a real priest. And therefore, you are a false religion in some way, shape, or form. Now, I'm not saying that anyone who is a Catholic who has a priest or anyone who is a, you know, a, a, a Church of England or anything like, you know, I'm not saying that everyone is a heretic or that people aren't saved because they, you know, because they believe these things. What I'm saying is, is that there is no such thing as a legitimate priesthood in these sects of Christianity. It is false. So any form of Christianity that attempts to say, we have a priesthood, that is man-made. The priesthood is Levitical. That's the only priesthood there is. God does not set up another priesthood. Now, people are going to go to the idea of uh, you, you are a nation of priests and what that means. I think I don't think we actually have time to describe what that might mean, but I believe that this means that a that we have the ability to look at the scripture and the covenants and interpret them within our communities. That's what I think I don't think it has to do with with uh, offering sacrifices. That's not what it means you are a nation of priests. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a high priest in the in the holy of holies. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be, you know, singing in the in the in the temple complex. That's not what it means. So the idea that I have to have a false priest administer something to me to be a part of the, the church, show me. Show me in the scriptures. You're not going to be able to find it. He, he, it's really, in a way, you could say, if you just replace his use of the term evangelicals with reformers, he's, he's voicing the the anti-reformation. Oh, of right? course, I mean, this, this comes straight he, from Trent, right? Yeah, yeah, he's voicing the... the okay, uh, another note on this. Now, Caleb, you might ha have insight on this, which I don't know, but I know that he uses the word mysterioi mm -hmm. with the Omicron Yoda at the end, the mysterio, that, that's a masculine plural. And I know it sounds kind of Greek-y, Greek geeky, but in scripture, mysterion, it's mysteria, it's feminine, and it's always... It's it, in the scripture, Yeshua talks about to you, it's given to know the, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Or Paul says, you know, that God re, revealed the mystery which was hidden beforehand and that he would uh, pray for me that God gives me utterance to speak his mysteries to the Gentiles, stuff like this. It's talking about the preaching of Yeshua with the full testimony of the law and the prophets. Right. Yes. That's what it is. And it, and, yes. and so the myth is the revelation. Like he even refers in Galatians 1, he says, when it, uh, the one who called me by his grace, you know, separated me from my mother's womb, 
and re- revealed to, it was pleased him to reveal his son in me that I would preach him among the nations. Okay, the idea is that the no- true knowledge of Christ is a revelation from God. It doesn't come from man. It faith comes by hearing. It's it's you know people who love God preach His word and and they sow His word, but it's God who gives the increase, and and that increase is when a heart hears and believes, and that comes from God. That's that's birth from above. And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the mysteries. And and so what the reason why I'm wondering, did he use the masculine plural, mysterioi, because is that a term that's hijacked? Is it, is it used in a masculine? I, I, it's not, not a masculine yeah. Greek word. It's a neuter. And so I wonder if this guy's trying to present himself as something he's not, like by, oh, I'm going to sneak a little Greek in here. But in sneaking Greek, he displays... It's like he. It's like, it's like those. He shows I, I, his hand. Okay, okay. Just like there's Hebrew roots congregations. You learn their name, and you're like, oh, it's like <laughs> that doesn't work in Hebrew. That doesn't yeah, mean what like, you think it means, man. This, someone thought it was in English, and then they just did their best. To and it's like no, they don't understand like construct states and like when to use a definite article and when not. But, Hey, by the way, we wait. I I, I want to stop right here. And for I'm just not. A second. I'm not hating on people. I'm just saying the, the, it's the, the, the misspelling of a Hebrew word is what got my father into the Messianic movement in the first place. Really? Oh, you didn't? Uh, yeah. So no, my tell me, remind go, me. This we used story. to go to this. We used to go to this uh, this bookstore. It was a Christian bookstore called Good News Books. It was right on Sixth Avenue, right? And we'd go there and we'd look around, and whatnot. <laughs> they had a board, and on that board you could put business cards and whatnot, pastors and all this kind of stuff. Well, my dad saw a a uh, a business card for a messianic congregation called Beit Simcha, but they spelled it wrong. And my dad was fairly fresh, you know, ten years I think out of, uh, out, or maybe more than that, fifteen. So years he knew, or but your dad, he's right. He did a lot of intense Hebrew. He had an awesome right. Hebrew and, prop. And right? so yeah. he, he, if you know my father at all, you know that he's not going to let this go. This ticked him off. Like, how is a messianic? So did synagogue? he like take the card? Yeah, off he took the- it and called him and said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. Do you realize that your 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 name is Miss? How many of these do you? Are these all over town? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's can my dad like, too. Can you recall so he, these? I I actually don't think he called them. I think he went there to tell them, and he I mean and to check it out. But he he went there okay. to to tell them anyway. Not the point. Not the so point. the idea is this, the idea is like okay, and that's okay. We all make typos. So, but mysterioi, the ma- a masculine plural. That's a little bit. It that's a special case. Like it's like, wait a minute. Like, we're, so okay, but but you're presenting yourself to be something this, you're not. This last part it goes back exactly to what we were talking about when we were talking about Gabby's question and uh, the idea of of being circumcised for righteousness' sake. Okay, now the Eucharist taking the Eucharist. By the way, the, the, so this is all tied together. But and I, this is the these are the jigsaw puzzles that I really enjoy. This is all tied together. The idea of sacrament. What did they say a sacrament did? As they're forming this this uh, theological doctrine of the sacraments, what did they say that the the sacraments did? They said that the that the sacraments imparted grace to those who partook of them. So God's Ooh. grace, and and this is not grace like He just shows He smiles His face on you. No, you had you you didn't have enough grace to be saved. The more grace you got, the closer you came to heaven. So the sacraments 
impart God's grace to you and bring you closer to equal level of grace of what you need to be good. So now they've just replaced a bad view of circumcision with a bad view of that is exactly right of the Lord's so, Supper. Of so P- instead Pesach. of the Jews saying you have to be circumcised to be saved, now it's you have to take the Eucharist to be saved. And and we see this. And in case you think that I'm off the rails here, we see this in this gentleman's comment. Having never partaken of the Eucharist, despair has set in, sending them on a wild goose chase for the legitimacy rejected in the, in the dis- disavowal of authentic church. In other words, let me let me try to uh, wow. let me try to let me try to interpret that for you guys. In other words, you haven't partaken of the true Eucharist because you haven't had it administered by a true priest, and therefore you are not part of the true church. Cyprian told us that if you do not have the mother as your church, you do not have God as your father. So this goes all the way back to Cyprian, right? So, yeah. So and Paul again, if we Paul is up against the same thing among Jewish sectarians right. that are saying, you got to join our club and then you will transition from being unacceptable to God to being acceptable by God. And Paul is just, Paul is following, Yeshua was knocking the money changer tables over. Paul's going down and he's like, no, 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 no. What, Don't what, you know the Torah? What Abraham executive... trusted the Lord and, and it yeah. was reckoned as righteous. And that's the core, Paul, and that's the thing, they can't avoid that passage from Genesis, but he, it's the tip of his spear many times because it, it confronts the sectarian and their false conception of righteousness, their false conception of what it means to be acceptable. Because you know what, you know what the flesh, the flesh doesn't like anything. What, what is the flesh like more than feeling righteous about its own deeds? You know, I mean, that's, that's that puffiness. Paul's like, nope. There's a lot of places. It's Yeshua who made you acceptable to God. Right. Not circumcision, not Shabbat observance, not what you eat. But that doesn't mean that those other, yeah, not the Eucharist, not what day you worship on now. But that, but, but that doesn't mean that the Torah is done away with. It just means that we have to differentiate justification from sanctification covenant membership as opposed to covenant observance yeah you get the into covenant membership like, one way are you a, as are you a member yeah. of the family yes yeah. or no now as a member of the family and keep you, the rules you know, can you stay up later than the than your siblings or can you yeah. you know yeah we have one child that doesn't have to do any chores but all the right. other children have to do all the chores right you know that now we're dealing with we're dealing with character formation we're dealing with what? sanctification one of our one of our uh, two things on this. One of our executive producers, Bobby, in the chat room says, "Grace equals sacrifice equals priest, i.e., magic Jesus bread." Perfect. Um, <laughs> the, I, I think that it is important to note. I actually agree with Cyprian in his comment: "He who does not have the church as his mother doesn't have right, a, right, right. A God as his father." Now. I'm going to disagree thoroughly on what Cyprian probably believed was the church, right? right. I believe that as, as covenant members, we become part of the family of God, the ecclesia, the assembly of God. Which but I Paul do not... calls is the Jerusalem above. The heavenly Jerusalem is your mother. He says right. that in Galatians. That's, that's, and it has to do with citizenship. You're a citizen. Right. You're... But, but, but the, you know, and ultimately this idea of grace being imparted through the sacraments, 
this actually works out in the, in the Catholic favor in some ways, except for all the scripture that it denies. But nonetheless, it works out in the idea of, I would go to, well, what about the thief on the cross? And I believe that the Catholic response is going to be, the thief on the cross still had to go to purgatory and still had to pay pay for his sins up until he got enough grace to move on, you know, until he's really? good to go. Okay, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm not up on that. Anyway, this I know is that a, I th- if I remember, I think I had a chat with, it was Spike was... And I know you did too. Early in earlier chapters of your life, Caleb, uh, have sp- specific targeted Mormon interactions, right? Right. And, and I, I, I remember talking with Spike, and he was telling me about their. We, I think we've talked about this years ago, but you know they have the the quad or whatever. It's like a. It's like got the Book of Mormon and doctrines. Right. It's like the triplet. It's but if you go and look at their definite, you go into that and you look at their definition of grace. It's very similar. It's. God's grace is to like some sort of divine favor after you've done all that you can do. So it's, right. it is, yeah. it's a works-based achievement. Right. It's like climb Mount Everest, then God will give you grace. Then he'll throw you a rope. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so all of this to say, and, and I want to be very clear about this. I think that the idea of sacrament, I don't necessarily think is a biblical belief in the way that the church believes in it today. Do I believe that a person is baptized into Christ? Yes, I think that baptism is a real thing that the scriptures teach, and I think that it's something that we should do, obviously. Is it a sacrament? I don't believe it imparts grace to anyone. I believe that the grace is given by God to the believer before baptism happens. What about the Eucharist? I don't believe that the Eucharist is what the church celebrates today. I believe that the Eucharist or what, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper is the Passover, which is part of the covenant. Now, the the uh, focus is moved from the exodus from Egypt to the exodus from sin, and the freedom that we have in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Okay, so, I, I and should we be keeping that? Of course we should. The Torah tells us to. And so does Christ. So I don't have a problem with any of this, but the but the, the idea that I don't have a real priest and I'm not celebrating the sacraments, give me a break. Show me receipts. Show that me receipts me from the Acts scriptures. That reminds me of Acts 15.1. Unless you do this, this, you cannot be saved. Remember? Unless you're right. circumcised, unless you have been circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It's the similar... It's. Just exactly change the, the vocabulary, same. but the structure is the same. It's bad theology. All right. Here you go, guys. In the chat room for you, just in case. This code, by the way, is good for a week. Here is a link to the Romans commentary. Go check it out. The code, all underscore, M-M-R-O-M. Yeah, M-R-O-M. M-M-R-O-M-2-3 is the code to get 15% off that product. It's good for one week from this date. So it is May 24th, 2023 today. If you're listening to this years in advance or years from now, it's not going to work for you. In fact, two weeks from now, it's not going to work for you. Uh, so go get it now. That's the point. Uh, we will be back next week. And uh, I'm working on producer credits for the summer months. And hopefully we will have those up and ready for you very shortly. Um, and yeah. Okay. I think uh, I think that's going to do it. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. 
because Messiah matters. <laughs>